welcome to Deeper, a podcast of the Wollongong Baptist Church. Our podcast follows the Sunday sermon and aims to help our congregations go deeper into God's Word. Hello everyone and thank you for joining us today. My name is Kate Cole and I am joined in the studio today by Rod Bailey. It's good to have you here, Rod. Great to be back. The final instalment. I know. I know. I have really mixed feelings about this. Um, we'll hear about your feelings in a moment. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, before we get there, uh, Rod, it's the end of term. Do you suffer from end of term fatigue? Is that a thing for you? It is. Yeah. And I'm noticing that the, all of the team at the <laughs> office have been looking a bit tired, various people with sniffles, mm. including myself. Um so, yeah, it must be end of term. We're all getting run down. Um, and I'm having a week's holiday next week, so that'll solve it for me. Uh, so you can push yourself. Yep. You know, you can... Uh, there's a finish line. There is a finish line. It's in sight. <laughs> and you can run on fumes because yep. you're going to get refreshed. Very good. Yes, my brain is certainly aware that it is week week 10. <laughs> so hopefully I'm cognizant today. Mm-hmm. If I start to waffle, feel free to nudge me. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's our, it's our last instalment of Zachariah. Mm-hmm. I... Uh, I feel like I've just finished a massive feast. I I really do feel like I've just gorged on this big, meaty, nutritious meal and um yeah, now I'm feeling full and feeling ready to go. How are you kind of feeling about yeah, wrapping look, up on Zechariah? No, look, I feel the same. It's been fantastic. I really love looking at this minor prophet. It's not so minor, is it? And it's been <laughs> um yeah, we've been studying it in depth. I've never done that with this particular book, and so I've got heaps out of it. I've mm-hmm. been amazed how Christ-centered it is, that there's lots of these little links through to the New Testament um, and to the Gospels, um, which is just wonderful. And I know it's been a stretch for a lot of people, and I've heard from various individuals and some groups that, you know, it's been hard work, and, you know, some of them are really looking forward to Acts in Term (laughs) 3, and I get it. And I'm excited for Acts 2 because I always like the next thing that's coming, and so that's new and fresh, and that'll be great as well. But I've loved Zachariah. Yeah, I think I get most out of the... Old Testament series that we do each year, and I, I know a number of other people do, just because we know it less mm. and there's more to learn and understand. Mm, yeah, I last year I was at Bible college and it's on hold for me at the moment, but I feel like Zachariah has scratched that itch of, of me wanting to have my mind in the Bible, particularly with the Old Testament. It's almost been like a, a mini subject on, on the Old Testament, so I, I can see exactly why you have enjoyed it the way you have and um, yeah, I'm so glad that we that we did it. Mm. Um, let's talk about Sunday. I'm so grateful, Rod, for how you approached the sermon on Sunday because we knew that we had baptisms at both services. We anticipated that there would likely be people there who haven't heard. Mm. Well, I'm guessing they wouldn't have heard Zachariah before, mm. <laughs> but it may may not have even heard the Bible before. Mm. When I read, read those passages, I thought, what is Rod going to do with this? <laughs> you did such a good job. Can you, um, can you recap for us where you went on Sunday with your sermon? Yeah, well, my big question was, why can we be sure that God will help us? And my two answers were because he promises to strengthen his people. And secondly, because he sent his son to cleanse us. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad it was helpful. I really wanted to have an evangelistic edge because of the people I knew would be there. But I think it was a passage that lent itself to it. Mm. Um, my struggle is probably I'm going to push in that direction anyway. And so it was nice that the meat was actually there to go <laughs> in that direction. But that little section, as we'll come to in verses 10 to 12 of uh, chapter 12, just gives us uh, such a connection to Christ. So that was great to just be able to focus on that and try and unpack that for uh, the people that were there. 
Mm, yeah, and like I said, I feel like it was helpful having the Messiah um, part of that, as you said, we're coming too soon. But, um, yeah, I was just so grateful for the way that you handled that, so thank you. Um, let's kind of zoom in uh, on some of the details here. In chapter, t- in chapter 12, verse 2, the culmination of a theme that has been running through the first 11 chapters, there's been lots of talk about God judging his people but also about him judging the nations. How does this section about God's cup resolve this theme? Yeah, well, as I mentioned in the sermon, the cup is a reference to God's wrath, and at times that was against his people, but this time around it's against the nations rather than Israel. Um, But God judging the nations is not a new thing in the book of Zechariah. Like Mm. A lot of themes and threads come to a climax here in in chapters 12 to 14. Naturally, it's the end of the book. But, um, yeah, this theme of God judging the nations is something that started at the very beginning. You may remember way back in chapter 1 we had the the riders um, going out and finding that the world was all at peace, but it wasn't a good peace because it was a, an ignoring God and just doing your own thing. Um, and so that's set up from the very beginning of the book, really, that that's not how God has it, um, or that's not his plan. His people were in turmoil, and the world was peacefully ignoring him. Mm. Um, so that needed to change. And so God's going to bring judgment and uh, turmoil on the nations ultimately, and he's going to bring peace is going to reverse those two things and i think that's what we see the trajectory of the book of zechariah doing and so you know you get back uh in chapter one um you also have the craftsmen that will defeat the horned nations in chapter two you know uh, zechariah is talking about god uh, being sent against the nations Um, then we had the personified sin you know the woman in the basket taken to babylon uh, sin being dealt with, but it's dealt with in a way where it's placed in the nation that's representative of rejection of God and opposition and sin, and God's going to ultimately judge that. And then you've got the attacking chariots dealing with the threat from the north in chapter 6. And then you, by the time you get to chapter 9 that we looked at last week with Mark, you know, you've got this oracle of judgment against the nations at the start of chapter 9. So it's been building. God's been speaking mm. against the nations, and now mm. it comes to a head as the nations sort of throw themselves against Jerusalem, as it were, as this sort of final stand against God's people, but they're going to flounder and come against this immovable rock. Mm. Um, Yeah. Okay. Um, You spoke about God's people being strengthened from chapter 12, verses 7 to 9 on on Sunday in the siege of Jerusalem and then applied it to ourselves. Uh, As one listener has asked, God can, can enable us beyond our perceived capacity but what is our lived experience of God being at work in us when we feel weak? Yeah, well, as I looked at um, those final verses in that first part of chapter 12, um, I, there's this whole theme of uh, God's people being shielded, being strengthened. And so then I applied it to ourselves today and quoted from 2 Corinthians twelve nine about um, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. So that's the Apostle Paul And remember, the context of that verse, which I didn't unpack at the time, is that he has this thorn in the flesh, and he has pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away. We don't even know what that was. (laughs) Um, It could have been uh, some health issue that he was facing. It could have been a besetting sin, even. It could have been some relational strain that just wasn't being resolved. We don't know what Paul was facing. But in the midst of that, um, yeah, God is saying to him, Uh, My grace is sufficient. So really that answer um, is saying, 
I'm not going to take away this. This thorn is not taken away from Paul. Um, he's just to keep dealing with this ongoing struggle, but with God's help. And the fact that that struggle is there makes him feel weak and he's not able to do what he might want. But God says, well, actually, when you're in this position of weakness, then you're actually dependent upon me and my power will be displayed through mm. you. That's the essence of what that quote's about. So I think as we apply that to ourselves, um, yeah, we can think, well, what is our lived experience? Um, you know, um, people will often say, well, I'm feeling weak. I've, these hard things are happening in my family or I've got this situation at work or, you know, I get this principle um, mm. that I'm weak and, yeah, but God is strong and he can do things. But what does that look like? How do I take comfort in this? Um, and I, I think there's not a one-size-fits-all answer to that. Every situation that we face is different. But I think there are some principles that Scripture would say more broadly that – you know, those uh, struggles should keep us praying. They should keep us trusting in God. We have to keep going. Like Paul doesn't sit down and say, oh, well, I've got a thorn in the flesh, therefore oh, look, I'm, I can't do anything more for you now, Lord, until you take this away. Mm. It's like, no, he'll have to just keep going mm. and God's going to enable him. And so I think it should build into us a resilience of perseverance. Okay, I, I don't feel on top of the world, but actually feeling like that often makes me proud of my own efforts or think I'm mm. doing it in my own strength. And the fact that I feel weak means that I'm more prayerful, I'm more dependent, and the glory mm. will go to God instead of me trying to steal or rob his glory. Um, so it's actually a good position. We just don't enjoy it. Um, what does that look like? Well, we're, we feel humbled all the time. Um, we feel like it's yeah, it's an effort, it's a struggle. Um, I've got to keep coming before before God. But that is a good place to be in. Um, mm. And that doesn't mean that we're not expectant that God will work in it, mm. in the situation. It's not a despairing kind of feeling. It's like, yes, this is hard, but God loves it when, you know, it seems impossible, humanly speaking. Mm. That's when he acts the most in Scripture over and over. And so I can, maybe he's not going to intervene tomorrow. Maybe what I'm facing is a hard thing that's going to go on for months or years, like Paul facing his thorn. But I can still be expectant that God's going to work through me, that he'll use me in that situation. It's not like he's sidelined me mm. and now I've got nothing to give or I can't mm. serve or whatever it might be. But rather I can be encouraged that, um, yes, it's humbling, but I'm just going to keep going and I persevere and I'm expectant that God will work in this situation and perhaps at some point he'll intervene in a big way and change that and remove that situation or resolve it, bring reconciliation, whatever it is. Mm. And so I've got to keep trusting and working towards that. Um, but this side of heaven, we're not promised that things will just uh, work out. Mm. And uh, so often our, our mindset about how things might be improved or what God might do mm. is this, you know, line of comfort and ease that we're, we're hoping to sort of walk along, uh, mm. which is not for our best um so often that doesn't produce growth in us mm. uh, doesn't produce learning um and so we've got to see the hard as god working still for our good in mm. all things romans 8 yeah yeah well perseverance is a, it's an act of trust isn't it and and there is a huge element of patience in there um yeah and obviously god knows what we need more than we do and i i know in my own experience it's that slowing down and trusting in what I can't see, but knowing in the goodness of God, it's opened my eyes to be aware of what he's actually already doing. You know, mm. I think so often I fall to my knees in prayer thinking, I want God to do something. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I read a great, a great quote this week about imagine the, 
the the shield being pulled back on heaven and just seeing how busy it is up there <laughs> with God working in our lives and and Jesus interceding for us as well. Um, yeah, and I think it, yeah, the more we can grasp that, there is a strength just in that that knowledge in itself. And yep. I've heard of wonderful stories of people who are immobile but have become prayer prayer warriors because mm-hmm. they understand that that's what they can do, mm-hmm. um, and that stillness kind of gives them the scope to be able to think about and pray for other people as well. There's plenty of examples, I'm sure, but um, yeah. No. Oh, that's wonderful. And I think that's all, all of that's true. Yeah, it's that hope that we have that keeps us longing and expectant. If we had all the answers and we knew how it would all turn out or that we mm. saw that it would all be resolved tomorrow, then, yeah, our our growth in our faith mm. would actually stop. We're, you know, we're forced to keep coming to God, and that's really the position that we want to be in, even though yeah. we feel... Like, oh, this is hard. Um, yeah. God is at work, like you say. That's right. And then he's carrying us. And mm. there's oh, such a relief <laughs> to know that we're in his arms. Um, in chapter 12, verses 10 to 12, we see the revelation of the one who was pierced that leads to mourning. And the Israelites grasp the gravity of their sin in this picture. Um, however, up to this point, they don't seem to grasp things as they battle with sin. Is this a picture of all the nation understanding and mourning, or is it more limited than that? Yeah, I think there have been hints of their awareness of their sin from chapter 1 onwards. Remember, back in chapter 1, verse 6, we're told that told of their repentance over their sins. It's looking back at that point to the exile, it seems. You know, it's the new generation appreciating that the old generation got it wrong and that God bringing his... Um, judgment and sending them into exile was actually just and fair and was a good thing. And so they're sort of repentant for what has taken place. And so it's not like there's not as um, some hints of understanding, some of this theme of repentance and grasping their sin at moments, but they never seem to fully get it. It just keeps going. Mm-hmm. We're rolling from one problem to another. It mm-hmm. seems early on that it maybe the idolatry thing is dealt with and it's more about their relationships with each other, but then the idolatry theme starts popping up as we get further into the book. And mm-hmm. so you think, oh, have they really learned anything? But I think, yeah, there's not a picture here. I, I think we, we see all the nation mourning or it's written in a way that it seems like this is a mass understanding instantly that finally they've all mm-hmm. got it, you know, and this one that will be pierced, uh, they'll all stop and see and everyone will get it. Um, the problem with that is um, we don't see that in the time of Zechariah. Mm-hmm. And even as this is fulfilled in Christ, we don't see it fully mm-hmm. with him. So um, I didn't go there uh, on Sunday just for lack of time. But Luke 23 has a great picture of people mourning as Jesus is going to the cross. So you um, Uh, I think it's verses 26 and 27 of that chapter. You get the women wailing as he's walking to the cross. And he actually turns them and dresses them that situation. And then when he's hanging on the cross at the end of that sort of scene, that harrowing scene, um, you get um, this comment that um, the people stood and watching beat their breasts and then they walked away. And and so there's this picture of mourning that, that people are observing. They do see the pierced one when he finally comes and... And yet, even in Christ's day, we know that many of the Jews just did not recognize him as the Messiah they were waiting for. And even those pictures of people mourning at the cross, there are those who are his disciples or the women that have followed him as described from Galilee. They get it because they have understood who Jesus is. But there are all these crowds that are there and they're observing. And sometimes, yeah, this comment about them um, feeling bad or beating their breasts and walking away 
but they don't seem to really grasp fully mm-hmm. who he is. There's not a mass turning and repentance of the nation as we know at that point. And so I think we've got to read back actually from the New Testament to the Old in these kind of scenarios mm-hmm. and say, well, we know this is fulfilled in Christ. We didn't see a complete turning. Not everyone was mourning. They certainly weren't all repentant and coming to him as the Messiah. In fact, the majority were the opposite. Mm. And so we need to read Zechariah 12 in that light, um, in the light of the New Testament. And even when you get Peter, okay, at Pentecost, the great speech, the Holy Spirit has come. He speaks with such boldness to the whole crowd. And then he gets to the end of his speech where he's told them, well, you've just murdered the Messiah and how are you feeling about that, guys? And it says <laughs> they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter, brothers, what shall we do? So, again, there, is, there are some who mourn and get it and repent. And he says to them immediately, repent and be baptized. And, of course, 3,000 do. Exciting. But mm-hmm. that's 3,000. That's not the whole of, you know, we think at that time we'd Passover feast that there were at least 100,000 people in the city. Mm-hmm. Well, that was the time of the year where everyone flocked in. And so it's exciting. The gospel's going out. There are some responding, but it's it's a minority. Yeah. Okay. I feel like there's a lot of parallels with real life in that as well. <laughs> um, how does chapter 13 fit with chapter 12? And can you clarify and extend the theme of the pierced one? Yeah, so we get this key moment, as we've just been saying, chapter 12, verses 10 to 12, they look on the one who they have pierced. But then the start of chapter 13, as I noted on Sunday, verse 1, talks about um, purifying from sin, being cleansed uh, of sin. And so this image of cleansing, which is why I called my second point about, um, you know, Mm. because he has sent his son to cleanse us, um, is a really powerful picture, which again picks up a whole series of themes. Uh, Again, chapter 3, verse 9, sin will be dealt with in a day. How does that happen? Well, here we Mm. have it. Um, The Messiah will bear it. The pierced one will absorb it. And as a result, God's people can be cleansed or purified. And so there's actually a really tight interlocking between chapters 12 and 13. Chapter 14 is much more difficult, and that's why we're not going to talk about that. But 12 and 13 um, really fit together, and 13 reinforces um, especially the end of chapter 12 and this pierced one. So there's that in terms of the impact of his death, the cleansing. But there's also the proof that, well, yes, it is about the Christ who would come. You know, you've got verse 7, the shepherd, I will strike the shepherd and the the sheep will scatter. That, again, is something that's taken up in the New Testament a few times when Jesus gets picked up at the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm. You know, his disciples scatter. And and so that theme of the, the shepherd being struck and the disciples turning away, something that gets fulfilled. And we see again that this this is why the pierced one in verse 10 has to be um, this shepherd who will be hit um, in chapter 13, verse 7. And then also at the end of chapter 13, you've got this lovely little song or psalm of three verses, chap- uh, verses seven to nine. And verse nine finishes off with that uh, beautiful picture of, well, what is the outcome of all of this? If this pierced one comes and this cleansing is offered and he's the one clearly that is close to God but has been allowed to be struck for the sake of the sheep, then what does this all produce? Well, these people, if they come, uh, will be able to say, uh, God is our God, and God will say, they are my people. Mm. And so you have this um, brilliant sort of closure of what God is achieving through all these things that will find their fulfillment in his son. 
And so that's the hope, you know, and mm. that's what believers enjoy today, that we have taken up uh, that phrase ourselves as we've come through repentance and faith to the one who was pierced. Mm. And now we've been included in God's people, mm. uh, the new covenant people, the church, mm. um, by faith. And so that is all foreshadowed by Zechariah chapter 13. Mm. And there's strength in being cleansed as well, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay, um, you invited those uh, that do not belong to God to come home to him. What is your invitation to those that are already God's people? Yeah, there's um, there's a great vision of hope as we've been calling this series. Um, we know that God has given his son that... Um, yeah, and so those who have not responded yet need to hear about that salvation. But for those that have responded, um, have already come home to God, a part of his people as we've just spoken about, I think it's to live up to the salvation that we've already received. Mm. I think the New Testament will talk about that in lots of different ways. But I love uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, where Paul writes about how that works because um, you know he will say, uh, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Um, it's for you, it's for God who, um, and then in verse 13, but for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So verse 12 seems like, oh, well, I've got to put all this effort to continue to live in this right way, mm. as he was calling his people to even in Zechariah, as he wants his uh, church to live today. And yet then that feels like, oh, well, it's all in my effort and I can't do it. How am I to produce this change? That's surely what we learned from Zechariah. We can't produce it. God's <laughs> the one that gives this spirit of supplication and, um, and understanding. So, But the second part, verse 13, is all about, well, it's really God who works in us. It's a both and. It's not an mm. either or. And I think why that's the message that we should take away is that we could read Zechariah and think, oh, well, I've just got to try harder or I've got to be better. <laughs> like they kept failing and God told them what to do and they didn't do it. And surely, you know, I can do it today, especially if I have the Spirit. Yes, we've got the enabling of God's Spirit, but we need to be dependent on Him in prayer and we need to see that it's His work to produce that. It's not mm. what we are producing. Um, but on the flip side, I can't be passive. I can't mm. think oh, well, um, just let go and let God and he'll do it all and he's going to produce this change in me in the Holy Spirit and I don't have to mm. think or work at this at all. Well, if I had that attitude, then I wouldn't read the Bible. I'd hardly pray, you know, why come to church? God's just going to do it. It'll happen in my sleep. Mm. And so we, we've got to be saved from these either extremes. It's yeah. not I do nothing or it's not it's all about me. No, neither. It's both and yes. I work with God. Um, Ephesians 5.25, keep in step with the Spirit. You know, I've got work to do. I've got to line up behind him and get on board mm -hmm. with what God is doing in me. But I need to cooperate and be part of that. Um, so I think that's the challenge for the believer. Yeah, I, and I think reframing some of this in the in the both and framework is so helpful because I, I, I'm prone to black and white thinking and I find it very easy to go, it's either this or it's that, it's either or. But yeah, both and is so helpful. And yeah, and just trying to grasp that through God's sovereignty – even though he's at work, we are still being called to be faithful to what is really obvious in the Bible, to call it the way he's calling us to live. Um, so this is the last question on, on Zachariah. We've come to oh, the end. I'm a little bit sad. <laughs> I'm also a little bit relieved. <laughs> it's been a both end. <laughs> um, 
What do you hope that we will remember at WBC? When, you know, in many years someone mentions the word Zachariah, we're like, oh, we did a series on that. Mm. What do you hope will come out of our mouths as we as we reflect on yeah, it? Yeah, well, I hope it's not like, oh, I can't think of anything, but there was this weird <laughs> flying scroll and we never looked at it, but there was this bit where the parents stabbed their kids <laughs> in Chapter 13. Like, there are all these weird moments in it that we sort of, we get left still sort of thinking, oh, I don't know if I fully understood that. And mm. I, I just left with these images. I think part of the legacy of the book is there are these amazing visions and they are images that you won't forget quickly mm. but whether we understand the meaning of the image rather than just left with the picture it's a bit like a really good sermon illustration if if people only remember that and they forget the point that was being taught <laughs> and the illustration wasn't that good actually it just distracted everyone yeah. from what we were supposed to grasp so i think i'd want people to understand from zachariah that yeah this is a really hopeful book many of the other minor prophets um, it is, well, you failed, you failed, God's going to judge you, or God's bringing judgment on the nations, look out, um, and then it hits, and, you know, and that's all sad. I think what we see in this is a vision of hope because, yes, there's been judgment, but we're post the exile here. We aren't building up to that great um, mess and then the exit. Uh, what we've got is a renewal. People are coming back and God's making a fresh start. And, yes, people haven't changed fully because they haven't, had Christ come, they haven't received the Spirit, Acts 2, and so they're going to continue to struggle in their own human frailty and sinfulness, and yet God is promising a new day, and mm. yet he's going to send his pierced one, mm. and yet there is a hope for the future because things can change, not because we'll do it and be any better, because God will just choose mm. to act in a way that will drag us forward, as it were, <laughs> as a people. And I think that's exciting that God mm. is not dependent on us. If he were, none of this would ever work in the end, but God can do what is needed Um you know, we can't contribute to our salvation. He provides the solution in his son. Get on board with Jesus. Stop trying to be doing it yourself. There's so much joy and relief and assurance mm. in the gospel. And I think that was a feeling I was left with at the end of Zechariah mm. that, yeah, if we just um, tease out the problems and the difficulties of the sins of the people and then we can see the parallels with ourselves, then we're still left thinking, ah, you know, nothing much has changed. Human nature is the same. And that's mm. true. But God has now acted in history and we sit 2,000 years on from Christ and we can see the glory of what he's achieved and have a far more hopeful outlook mm. knowing our, our future is assured. Mm. Yeah, I agree. When you said relief and assurance, I think that's two ways to describe how I feel. And just that opportunity to really reflect on the power of God. And these aren't just stories. This is our God. His spirit is in us. Like, this is true for us too. Mm. Um, yeah, it's been... It's been, it's been wild. It's been a ride, <laughs> but it's been a good one. And I feel like I'm really looking forward to doing Acts Next on mm-hmm. top, like on the back of this. I feel like it's going to be really helpful. I mean, I'm not quite sure where we're going, <laughs> but sure. I anticipate that this will be a helpful place to be coming from, sort of leveraging into into our next series. Yeah, because we'll be pressing forward, seeing well, what happened in the yeah. early church post them receiving the Spirit and mm. receiving all these promises that were being held out to them by Zechariah. What does it look like as they get going? And that connects you know, more closely to us today in our lived experience. Yeah, that's right. Well, 
On behalf of the congregation, I think we're all really grateful to you and Ken and Mark for all the work that you've done in bringing this book to us and in teaching it so faithfully. So thank you for allowing God to to use you that way. Yeah, Um, yeah, and so that's it. That's the end of Zachariah. Uh, That also means being the school holidays and being the end of a series, we won't have deeper for the next two weeks. So feel free to... Go back through the catalogue and catch up on any that you have <laughs> that you've missed. Uh, but we will be back in the third week of July, kicking off with Axe, which I'm very excited about. Looking forward to All it. Right. Well, thanks for joining us today, Rod. No problem. And thank you, Mike, as always, for your magic behind the behind the, the bits and pieces. Uh, and we hope that if you are getting away these holidays, you have a refreshing time, and we will see you soon. This has been a podcast of the Wollongong Baptist Church. You can listen to past sermons and deeper podcasts and also find information about our Sunday services on our website at wollongongbaptist.org.